Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We hope you're doing well. This is the Emergency Nine Golf Podcast. I'm Mike. He's Jay. And that's it. That's all we got. Two man show. Two man show. It's like a singles match here in the Ryder Cup. <laughs> who? Who? You're Sergio. Who did Sergio play in the singles this year? I mean, I don't. I don't even know. All I know is he's the greatest Ryder Cup player. Of all well, time. I was just also saying that because he lost three and two. So <laughs> that's why I was on a pick. <laughs> <laughs> I picked the American side there. I don't even remember who we played, but yeah, two man show tonight. And, uh, we are recording this on Tuesday night. So sorry for the one, one day delay. Um, uh, I'm in the midst of outing season at the foundry. So Mondays are, are busy for me. And, uh, so we're doing this on Tuesday, which is why McLean can't be here. He's somewhere, somewhere, <laughs> somewhere in Florida. I don't know. I don't he keep is, track. He is somewhere. That's right. But not here. Not here. Not with us. Just the two of us tonight. So, uh, suck on that, folks. Yeah. What you got? Jay, you, you drinking anything tonight? I'm keeping it pretty pretty calm tonight. I've got a uh, IPA. Going no, I'm, I'm on yeah. beer night, too. I'm on beer tonight. You know, got a little Voodoo Ranger. New Belgium. I'm the proud of Powhatan. I'm drinking Fine Creek Brewing. Oh, nice. A little Thai tea milk stout. Oh, heavy. You went heavy. Did you not eat dinner tonight? Um. I ordered dinner solo, so I don't cook for myself. <laughs> or really, really, I cook ever, but uh, I ordered a terrible meal, so I am a little hungry. Yeah, yeah, I need okay. something filling. That makes sense. It's like having a Bloody Mary after uh, after dinner, but it's uh, <laughs> after dinner. That's what I mean. It's like it's like a heavy heavy drink. I feel like if I if I have a Bloody Mary, it's like no, no meal. <laughs> it's still. I mean, it's it's a dark beer. It's delicious. It's really not that heavy per se, Enough. but it is pretty dark. Um, so watch any NFL football. Um, I did watch, um, quite a, uh, qu- quite a bit of red zone. I'm a kind of a jumper go back and forth. I like to see all the action. Yeah. So I did, I see, I saw most of the games, but just not to, uh, to fruition there. I didn't see every team win. I just That's saw the most touchdowns. red zones. Fantastic. It's the most American ADHD thing out there. And it's great. I mean, I was sitting there watching, I was, you know, working on the uh, the yard. And I was aerating, and I was I just came in for just a second. I was like, I just wanted to catch up. And uh, like forty five minutes later, I was still sitting in my living room watching Red Zone, and I was wondering. You know, I was like, this is the most addicting thing. Like, I could not leave. It's like they're so they they do just enough yeah. to wrap you in, and you want to see what happens if they score, and then they jump to the next. Oh one. well, I got to see if they're going to score. And I'm like, well, I got to see if they're yeah. gonna, hey, they're in the red zone. Look at that, <laughs> they're in the red zone. I got to keep walking watching so um yeah they're pretty good they, they did a good job they get my you know whatever monthly fee for the months of september through uh january um i didn't watch a ton i did catch believe it or not one particular football game this past weekend um your two favorite things on the planet it was tough dude it was really hard to watch <laughs> like even like Lindy was making fun of me because I was like a, I was a wreck like an hour before the game. Like I had the, the pregame on and like, oh my God, he's coming out to the field. Oh my God, there he is. He's came out late too. He did came out very late and yeah, it was like, like drawn eight. out and I see him in a, I've, I've watched him now for over a year in a Buccaneers uniform, yeah. win a Super Bowl in a Buccaneers uniform, but it like hit me back in Foxborough when he's back in Foxborough running out of the yeah. visitor's locker room. <laughs> On our field, 
uh, I just didn't feel right. It felt awful. And I had a bunch of people at work ask me, oh, how are you going to feel watching the game? And this was the analogy I came up with. It's like I showed up to a restaurant disheveled by myself in sweatpants to sit at a bar by myself to eat. And I look over in the corner, my ex-girlfriend sitting there just looking fantastic, just tight dress, great hair, great rack with her new boyfriend. They're having a fucking great time. And I'm miserable in the corner by myself, regretting everything, asking myself, what did I do wrong? That's pretty much how it was. That was in depth. I like that. Um, Went after it. It was, uh, it was weird. And then I've never wanted, I've never been so nervous watching a regular season game before. Yeah. And wanting to win it so bad. And then so they actually were, started playing well. You were definitely pulling for the Patriots, not for Tom Brady. Oh, 100% pulling for the Patriots. Okay. I'm always team over player. I got, I'm born and bred. Those are my teams. And hell, even I was so proud that the fans cheered him before pregame. He came yeah. onto the field and they, they cheered him and they were chanting Brady, Brady. And then his first series, he walks on the field and they boot him. Yeah. <laughs> like and I all, like almost got up together. I almost stood up and applauded in my own living room by myself. Like, that's right. Okay. Well, well, Tom, we love you. Thank you for everything. It's great to see you again. Once the ball kicks off, we kind of fucking hate you. We want you to lose. (laughs) You're on the other team. So I get it. it. And then when they kicked that, try to go for that field goal, I was standing up in my living room in the dark all by myself. And when he clanked it, I went down to two knees, hands on my head. I was, (laughs) distraught couldn't go to bed for like 45 minutes after watch all the post game stuff it was yeah i'm glad it's over it's behind us we're gonna move on tom we do Uh, love you tom and belichick did have a a really quick interaction on the midfield there at the end of the game they did however belichick went into the buccaneers locker room after the game and they met for 25 minutes in private oh they did okay they did and it actually sounds like Brady came out with some comments. It sounds like they might have hashed things out a little bit. Really? Yeah, because then Brady even put a post uh, on Instagram today of him hugging Belichick and said, appreciate you, coach. Oh, that's cool. So I think yeah. I think they had a little clearing the air yeah. session and yeah. kumbaya and hug and kiss to make up a little it's, bit. You know, what's crazy is that uh, the media, when they report stuff like this, you, you never really know if there, yeah. if there was any beef at all, but. You assume uh, you assume so, but they all both act like it's no problem. But uh, clearly, there no, there, there was, was a definitely problem. a beef, and there's all kinds of passive aggressive things they have done or said, yeah. and things that have come out of their camp. And Brady's dad was on Boston media heard about last that. week talking about how he feels vindicated and his son feels vindicated and all. That. So yes, they definitely had a beef, and that's why it ended badly. But and they do have an appreciation for each other, and um, that's good, you know. So we did uh, they, uh, another one of the post post round interviews, Belichick. Uh, <laughs> I guess you probably saw the the excerpt from it, but they asked uh, Belichick, how did you, what did you think about Tom's performance? And he said, I think we covered that already. Next question or something, <laughs> something like that along those lines. It was like, I'm not going to sit here and talk about Tom Brady all night. I mean, I, yeah. I gave my first opinion. said he did this, did this play yeah. great. Let's go to the next question. I'm not going to talk about it again. He, he will not give you in-depth answers. That's for sure. No. So, but which is annoying to a lot of people, but a lot of people, they respect it. They're like, Hey, I love it. He just doesn't want to, he doesn't want to give, he doesn't really want to, he just doesn't want to say anything. He doesn't want anything used against him. Good or bad. He just doesn't want to have any kind of comment that's substantial for 
the media to take one way or the other, even if it's really yeah. good. But he's like, he doesn't want to do that. Yeah. I don't know. He's yeah. When when you win six Super Bowls, you can be a dick. So yeah, true. But there's our NFL talk or my all these listeners seem like okay, more Tom Brady and Patriots talk. But hey, I mean, I'm a Tom Brady fan, so <laughs> I don't mind talking about. Him. I think he's awesome. So let's let's stories. let's get into some golf. Sam Burns, sorry, but we're not going to start with you. We have late breaking news. I guess the one benefit to doing this show a day late and coming on Tuesday was there some breaking news this afternoon, the day after Thanksgiving, November 26th, the day before Jay Woodson's birthday. That's right. Brooks v. Bryson. The match is happening. It's TNT's Capital One, the match that they've been doing that started with, with Phil and Tiger and have a bunch of iterations with Manning and Ray Rogers and Mickelson and Barkley and Curry and all these guys. So they're going to do it. And some Bryson had teased something was coming at the Ryder Cup last week. So oh, something fun's coming. Well, here it is. So they're going to play win Las Vegas. And Jay, they're going to play a 12 hole match. Oh, God, that's terrible. <laughs> What are your thoughts on a 12-hole? <laughs> you know, if you're into getting done quickly and you want to just get off the golf course, then that's fine. Um, yeah, I, I prefer playing nine holes or 18 holes. That's just that's just me. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure Mike wants to fill everybody on this backstory here. but um, uh, So for all of our listeners, there's a course here in town just got recently renovated and changed. They went from 18 holes to 12 holes. Jay is not a huge fan of it. And I've had this conversation with Jay. I witnessed Jay have a lengthy, lengthy debate with a member at the foundry one evening over beer that I was kind of a part of and kind of just wanted to sit and listen and watch. And Jay does not like 12 holes. Like with a passion does not like 12 holes. He wants well, nine or 18. I mean, I, it's, it's again, I have formulated my opinion as to why that is. And there's a number of factors. <laughs> One is I think everyone likes to gauge the way that they play or how well they play or how well they're progressing with golf based on comparing themselves to other players. So, or par, so to speak. So, and everyone has that gauge at nine and 18 holes. And I, if you go play 12 holes every day, I'm not, I, I think that the course is, a, it's wonderfully renovated by, by, by Davis Love. This is a course in Richmond. Um, but I think he did, I'm sure he did a great job, but in my opinion, I just, I like to play nine holes so I can gauge myself on past, past playing. If every golf course we played were 12 holes, then yeah, I'd say, great, let's go with another 12 holer. But I mean, I can understand why they they thought that it you know it was a good idea, and because they they're trying to give people a, a different option to get get around and play quicker. Um, but in my opinion, I, I just feel like if those type of people are just going to Top Golf or Drive Shack, and then once they want to learn how to play at a higher level, they want to play a real golf course. But. I mean, it is a real golf course, Jay. It's just 12 holes. <laughs> That's true. I mean, I guess if you can call a par three a real golf course, if you can make a hole one on it, right? That's a fucking fact. <laughs> We've already gone over this. 
<laughs> I uh, and so for our listeners, I, I get where Jay's coming from. Jay's a traditionalist. He wants to say I shot thirty four on nine holes, or I shot sixty seven on on eighteen holes. My numbers are a little higher than that, but um, what I and this has nothing to do with the match. I was just using this 12 holes just to try to get Jay going a little bit. Yeah. When I saw, when I read the article today, when it came out about Brooks and Bryson playing a 12 hole match and they're actually on an 18 hole golf course, I'm assuming they're just playing 12 holes from a TV standpoint. Sure. Uh, that would be my guess. It's just, I just started dying laughing in my car when I saw <laughs> this, because I knew Jay and I were doing this tonight and Jay does not like, the course here and he has nothing to do with it has nothing to do with the course in town or the design or the actual layout and it's it's belmont golf club here in town it's an old aw tailing house design that davis lovery did and it's run by the first tee and they've kind of gone a very outside of the box sure. thinking yeah. right they have a putting course they have a new practice facility which they didn't have room for before with the 18 hole golf course a six hole short course Pitch and putt, par three, however you want to say it, and the twelve hole championship golf course. And so Jay's whole thing is it has nothing to do with Belmont specifically. It's more about just the number of holes. And he sure. thinks twelve yeah. holes. You think twelve holes is stupid, and, and if you're going to test yourself, I didn't say stupid. I don't no. think I ever said stupid. Well, you but said a lot I, of things, but uh... <laughs> but you're right. <clears throat> no, I, I just. I, for me, if I as playing golf, I feel like I'd say majority. That's uh, that's probably another uh, that can be debated. But uh, um, most people, when they when they're out on a golf course, any type of real golf course that's nine or eighteen holes, they are kind of gauging how they how they play. When you talk to somebody who's just played eighteen holes and they're a beginner, you know, you ask them, "Hey, how'd it go? Did you have fun? Yes, I had a good time." what did you shoot like that's the next question so if you play 12 holes and everyone else plays 18 holes it's just i'm not saying it's not a great course i'm just saying for the communal part of like golf like learning how to play and, and having some type of social interaction with another player to compare where you are it's like i, I play this 12 hole golf course i shoot you know 57 on 12 holes and they're like okay i think that's good you know 57 sounds like well that's what, what what's the par you know well, and I and I think we and I had I have brought up this point and and the gentleman that you were arguing with, you know, brought up this point. And I think one of the reasons they're doing it, and me as a golf professional and and reading and seeing a lot of what's going on in the industry and how to grow the game, right? That's part of my my job as a PJ professional. And 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 some some of us in our industry do that a little bit more than than I do. I'm I'm at a small private club, so it's the game's grown, right? And it's and it's not like I'm bringing in in juniors and the public to grow the game at, at my facility. But one of what the PGA is trying to do is to grow the game. And so a couple of barriers to the game of golf is it takes too long, it's too hard, it's too expensive. If you can shorten it 12 holes, it's going to take a little bit faster. If you're only charging for 12 holes, it's going to be a little bit cheaper. Mm-hmm. And I haven't played it, so I can't speak to the how easy or hard it is. Um, from that aspect. And so if it, it can be a barrier, a gateway to get people into it, and I think, and I know what you're going to say here, maybe 18, 18 holes is a lot for some beginners. And you would yeah. say, well, then just play nine. Yeah. And so again, it's, it's, it's not for everyone. It, it could be for the very, very casual 
golfer that really just wants to do it for some exercise and to be outdoors for a little bit. And they maybe not care a ton about their score. They don't care if they shoot 57 for 12 holes or 47 or 97 for 12 holes. They're not doing it for score. They're doing it for recreation and some exercise and to be outdoors. And But how many, it, of, how many of those people do you think are coming to play that golf course? I don't know. I mean, I, I know you don't know. I'm just, it's a hypothetical, but how many people, how many beginners are really interested in just 12 holes as opposed to playing nine holes or 18 holes? And like, what type of, how, how big of a sample size are we trying to attract? You know, you're not going to maybe uh, attract as many of the traditionalists. So your only, your only target market is new you know, beginning, beginning players that, don't want to play 18 holes. I mean, I think that sample size gets pretty small. And again, I, I totally understand that point of view. And I don't dispute that if it's, if they have done the research and have found that like every time we interview people, they'd rather play 12 holes instead of nine holes or 18 holes. And if that's, if that's what they've done and the, the, the stats say that, then, then that's a great move. Um, but again, my opinion as kind of a traditional traditionalist, like the word you use, I don't know if I would consider myself that, but that's, that's fine. I mean, yeah, I would prefer to, you know, play nine holes or 18 holes. That way I could compare, you know, myself with previous scores because I've been in the game this long. And that's the way that most courses are set up. Um, but again, if that's, uh, if that's the move, they've done the research that says this is going to be way quicker. We're going to attract more people for 12 holes. Then I, then I, that's a great idea. I mean, I hate to lose six telling us uh, holes. I would have rather seen just a, like a full regress or, you know, a facelift to, to his course uh, but restoration. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Restoration. Uh, maybe regrass and, you know, redo some bunkers and add a, you know, some, some slopes and things here and there just to kind of rebuild it. I know it's kind of a flat golf course, but. Um, no, and, but, I, and, I, and I get, I, I see both, both sides of it. And I, I don't think, I don't think there's room for a bunch of these kind of golf courses. Right. Yeah. But let's just say every city had one. Yeah. I think it'd be great. I don't think there's, you don't need three or four in a no. major metropolitan area, but if yeah. every city had something like this for either the seniors who are kind of phasing out, mm -hmm. right. Or the beginners or the juniors that are phasing in now, do you, can you then convert? And that's like my whole, my whole sticking, not sticking point, but my whole interest in drive shack and top golf is okay. People are, putting a golf club in their hand, but does that mm -hmm. going to convert them into golfers? Are they going to then go start playing golf? And that's kind of the big question with some of these alternative forms of recreation and golf. Does it create more golfers that are then going to go out and buy a set of clubs, going to go buy shoes and clothes and golf balls and, yeah. and gloves and go pay a greens fee and a cart fee and buy beer. And then that person go, oh, okay, well now I really like this game. Now I want to go buy a, a membership or this or that. I'm going to go spend a bunch of money on lessons. And does it help the industry in some form or fashion? I, I, I don't know that about drive shack or top golf. This I'm a little bit more, maybe that does convert someone into, all right, now I'm going to go join a, a or go play a, an 18 hole golf course. I've, I've yeah. graduated if you will. Yeah. And I, and again, I, the, the, one of the first arguments I make is that's great. Let's shorten it up. Let's make a really 
you know, bolstered up nine hole golf course. That's even shorter than 12 holes. And then they can play it twice and actually shoot, you know, a conventional score. So, uh, you know, I, I don't, I just, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense why it would be three more holes or, you know, five less or six less holes than 18 holes. So, but I mean, I know that it's, again, I haven't, I've been by it. I've walked the property. I just haven't played the golf course since it's been, you know, cut down to 12 as, as opposed to 18, but it looks beautiful. I mean, they did a great job with uh, Davis. Davis Love did a great job, you know, with uh, managing you know, the regrass and, and redoing some of the green. I think he, he redid a little bit of the green complexes from what I understand. Yeah. I think he tried to get them, tried to get this, the, the shape of some of them back yeah. and the original sizing of some of them back. I mean, I don't even know how, I don't know. And, and I want to get an architect on here and I have a bead on one that does a lot of restorations. Um, that would be, that would be to talk be about how to, yeah. how are some of these architects use old pictures yeah. to kind of get it back and how much they know, you know, and how much they're relying on books and pictures and historians to kind of figure out what, yeah. what the course was. So hopefully yeah. we can get someone as we're, we're in, getting into the off season here, you know, with some lesser events, and then we'll have some off weeks that we'll kind of get a hodgepodge of topics and guests on. And that's kind of where I was going with this, this week too. And uh, I've been wanting to get this topic in with you with the total 12 hole thing <laughs> I for, mean, it, for it, a few yeah, weeks now. And then when the whole Brooks Bryson thing came up this afternoon, I'm like, well, here's my chance. Yeah. I mean, I'd be curious to hear what everyone else's opinion is because I'm not, I, I don't, I'm not always going to say that my opinion is is right at all. I mean, I'm, I'm open to hearing other people's views on it. And if, you know, that's just my perception of how most people think, but if, if I'm, if that's not the case, then you know, yeah, your opinion is not right or wrong. It's, it's your yeah, but, it, but it's nice to hear, you know, if there's a majority of people who do prefer 12 holes, then and I'm, I'd love to hear you know, why and hear what they think and why it works for them because it, it could be something that I, I don't see. Well, like I said, you, you know, I've, I've used to growing up, I grew up on a nine hole golf course, which is actually a great way again, to get people into the game because I could go it was so easy to go play nine holes because that's what the course is designed for. And then, um, you know, obviously we go around if you need to play 18. Well, I'm going to take you out there and on the seventh tee box, when we make the turn, I'm going to double that. <laughs> double it up. Double it up. So, all right, let's actually go back to the Brooks and Bryson. What do you, what do you make of this? Is this just cash grab? I'm sure they're taking advantage of every opportunity. They they know there's been this kind of facade that they've portrayed, in my opinion. I, I'm sure that, like you've mentioned before, I'm sure uh, Bryson irritates Brooks and vice versa, but not any more than, you know, the next guy. Being not any more than McLean irritates us. Yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> um, but no, 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 way, probably way. I mean, McLean's good by me, but uh, <laughs> good we're just fucking with you, McLean. Yeah, all good, buddy. Um, depends how much grapes he has. That's true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think you're right. I think it's just. I don't think they feud that much. I think it was a little bit of it, maybe the first comment here and there. And then after that, I think they really, they tried to push it just for something like this, the opportunity that they could do something cool like this to either make some money, raise some money. It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think they're both pretty dramatic characters. Yes. They're both right. dramatic. To, I think to begin with, I think they both like attention. 
I don't think they both love attention in various yeah. ways. And, you know, I think they did have, they both rub each other the wrong way and then made comments. And then they're like, Oh, well, everyone's getting a kick out of this. Yeah. And this is getting us a lot of attention. Let's keep it going. Let's, you know, I'm not saying it was coordinated between the two of them, but I just think it, they both it, fed off. It's of fed off of it and it spiraled yeah. off of the public reaction to it. Yeah. Yeah, they started making a big deal of it, and that kind of—I think—they got kind of pumped up with it too. Yeah. So, because I, I truly believe they don't like each other, but I don't think they like absolutely hate each other and like can't stand the sight, like what some people want want it to be or think it. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, that guy's annoying me. I'd rather not be around him, but yeah, I can be around him if I have to. Yeah, I which mean, is why it wasn't a big deal at the Ryder Cup. Exactly. They they made it work, and uh, I don't know if that that was for show or not, but either way. They they managed to come come together for the for the win. So yeah, but the other yeah some other news and I I honestly I'm gonna say so Sam Burns won the Sanderson Farms. I saw I think maybe zero shots of this tournament. I'll be honest with the folks listening. Um, busy weekend just just didn't have the juice following the Ryder Cup. A <laughs> little bit of a letdown. Letdown. Country Club of Jackson just didn't do it for me. Yeah. Um, but so, let's just talk about Sam in general. I did know he had, he had, I think he had a, a pretty strong finish uh, on Sunday yeah. Uh, yeah, on, on the back nine, beat the ghost of Nick Watney by one. Where has he been? Yeah, that's a really good question. He played, played well, though. He played very well. Seven um, under on Sunday. Kid it. But yeah, Sam Burns birdies 11, 13, 14, 15. He actually did bogey 18. And so he gets the win. But it's more about I and this this wasn't on our agenda, but obviously he's had a great year. He won at Valspar back in was that March? You know, he was kind of a fringe Ryder Cup yeah. guy on the list there. And you look at recently, since the Ryder Cup pick, some guys that have won that were fringe guys, Billy Horschel. Yep. Wins over in at Wentworth in England. Max Homa won. He was kind of down the list just a little bit with a couple wins. Now yeah. Sam Burns. It's like I don't know if it's you know they were trying their hardest to make the team and then they didn't make it and then they like you know some of the pressure got taken off them and now they've all won. But yeah, I think this also goes back to the fact of what we talked about with the Ryder Cup is there's a lot of good American golfers. Yeah, yeah, and so. You know, as you look to future Ryder Cups, like they're going to keep a lot of good guys at home every year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and we, Sam, Sam yeah. probably doesn't get his due with all the big names and, and because of how strong American golf is right now. But he's he's putting together a hell of a resume in the last twelve months. Yeah. Well, he's off to a good start for the twenty twenty three, or I guess it, is, is they, are they going to call it the twenty twenty three Ryder Cup? Yes. Now, yeah. So they're going back to odd years, and I think they okay. will actually use the correct year. Yeah. This I time. mean, well, he'll he's off to a good start. Yeah. <laughs> There's this point. I mean, he's got I throw a couple more wins in there, and I think he's probably gonna he'd probably do it. Uh, and that's it, that's within two years. Yes. Yeah. But all we got on Sam Burns. Yeah, I mean, I hate to say it. I mean, I, I do like the kid. I mean, a tiger speaks highly of him. Um, you know, he, I don't know that they played together at the Honda a couple of times or, or maybe yeah, I think his, his like rookie a, year, rookie he might've been like a Monday qualifier or something. And when he played I with Tiger so. in the Honda and then he beat Tiger. 
Yeah, exactly. And so Tiger's had some really nice things to him. I mean, he's a big kid, you know, hits a long, it's a long way. Um, I mean, I would, it's not surprising that he's, that he's playing well. Um, but, but he's, again, I, don't, I think he's just below that tier of flair that you see every week. I mean, maybe he's, maybe he's working towards that, but you know, you have your, your 20, 25 guys every week that, that you have your eye on because you've heard their name and you want to see how they play. Um, and they're, they typically are always at least in the mix, you know, I'd say four out of five tournaments they're they're in the top 20 and they may have an off week, you know, every five events, but they're always in the mix. You always see their names. And I don't know if he's quite there yet. He may go four or five weeks and you don't see him. And then the next time, you know, he's up, up towards the lead, but I will say the last couple of times I've seen his name towards the lead, he's won. Um, yeah. other than that one, he did lose that one, uh, to, uh, what tournament was that where he missed that in that playoff? Uh, was that a- Abram answer won that, uh, that event? Uh, FedEx. Was it FedEx? What was the playoff between Sam Burns and it was like three or four guys. I, I know there was one, he was in a playoff finished second. Can't remember which one. Um, yeah. But, he finished um, T second at the FedEx St. Jude that okay. Abraham answer won. Yeah. Yeah. So that he missed a pretty short putt there in the playoff, but, um, but it's either he's in the mix, you know, trying to win or he, you know, you just know, you don't see his name. So, but that, that's a good trend to have though. If you're in a position where you're every five events, you're in, in contention, then that's how you get your name up there. And that's how people remember who you yeah, are. I mean, last looking at last season, obviously we're early into this season. He played in 26 events, 13 top 25s. Yeah. So, I mean, half the time he's finishing the top 25. He's doing you it. Know, couple se- a win, a couple seconds, third, eight top tens. So, and you look at his stats. I mean, he doesn't. His his weakness is chipping, yeah, he's a, around the green. But he's forty fourth strokes gain off the tee. He's thirtieth approach. He's ninth in putting. Wow, forty second in, in tee to green, and he was fourteenth overall in strokes gained total. So. I mean, All the that's, stats are, are leading to him doing this more often. Yes. I mean, that's just a solid, solid player. When you can yeah. be you can be top 30, approach the green, and then be a top 10 uh, strokes game putting, Yeah, then you're going to do all right. He has not finished. He's only finished outside. Of, he withdrew from the PGA Championship. But outside of uh, the British Open, the Memorial, and a miscut at the U.S. Open, um, he hasn't finished outside of the top 20, I guess, 21, just to be accurate since the RBC heritage of, of 2021. I mean, that's, that's back to the early spring. So, I mean, that's, that's, April. that's pretty, yeah. pretty, pretty good. Um, so you're right. I mean, he has been trending that way. And I think, you know, we have seen his name a whole lot more before, you know, this, this past spring, um, I, you know, we didn't see him that often. Uh, yeah, well, but, con- congrats, Sam Burns. Um, go get it, Sammy. Go get it. Playing well. Yeah, he seems like a good, good, good dude. Yeah. Um, LSU Tiger. That's right. Yep. Fake Tigers, fake Death Valley. <laughs> <laughs> There's only one real Tiger, and it's a Clemson Tiger. That's right. Well, that's a lot of Tigers. Let's be honest. Uh, <laughs> it's not the most creative mascot. <laughs> but there's only one Death Valley. That's right. So, I was actually more interested this week in some of the news that came out about the caddy changes. Oh yeah. So Bubba has parted ways with longtime caddy, Ted Scott, which is great. They can't make any more stupid social media videos. Yeah. And 
Ted, you're probably like, oh, thank God. He doesn't have to berate me anymore <laughs> over a bad yardage or a bad club. Uh, and then I was a little surprised at this one. JT parted ways with his caddy, Jimmy Johnson, who he's had his entire professional career, who's a veteran. Like He actually thinks he's a Hall of Fame caddy, Yeah, Jimmy Johnson. And he has hired Bones. Jim McKay is putting down the microphone no longer working for NBC and is hopping on the bag of JT who he has caddied for in a handful of events. I know Jimmy has dealt with some heat exhaustion and some health issues in the last year, year and a half bones would be the one that would jump in there with JT. So, I mean, that's an easy, easy one to fill in there is it to get bones, but um, yeah, that's a strong pairing. Yeah. That's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a, there's a quite a few wins there on uh, Bones' bag, and then not only that, but you know J- uh, Justin Thomas has been one of the top. Uh, he's got the top two or three wins in the last ten years, hasn't he? Or something crazy. It's got to like be that. close. Yeah. yeah, I mean between him and Dustin and Rory, I mean he's Spieth. up there. Yeah, Spieth. Um, so I don't. Yeah, I don't blame Bones for for getting back on the bag. I mean you you can't you you do <laughs> you do that job. As a, especially as a professional caddy, I know if you if you get a good a, a good loop, then you can make some cash. But you don't you don't do a job like that unless you, you absolutely love it because it's it you're there's a lot of risks there. You can do everything the right way. You can be the best caddy, and your player just doesn't play well, and you just you don't make really any money, and no one no one knows who you are. But if you are good and you get on a good bag, then you do things like like him and Phil have done, and you know win six majors and however many other you know tournaments they've won. So I didn't realize I was looking at uh, Jimmy Johnson. He's 64. So he's getting up there. I don't know if he's retiring or I know uh, JT made a comment like it was mutually parted and and he's got some other opportunity, like business opportunities that he's involved with or doing. Or but 64 years old, been caddying for a long time, caddying for yeah. Nick Price for a while, caddying for Steve Stricker for a while. I mean, that's that's it's time to retire. He's he's put his he's put his time in. Yeah, he's doing okay. Yeah. I just I remember the clip of him looking at the prize payout from this year's players' championship when JT won the two point seven million dollar <laughs> first place check. Jimmy uh, Jimmy did that ten percent math real fast on that one. He is retiring. <laughs> he was very excited. So, but yeah, I'm curious to see. You know, I know Bones has had some issues with his knees, and um, you know that's one of the reasons why he kind of gave up. Yeah, uh, why he quit with Phil was just some health reasons and can't walk the golf course. So he must be doing okay. Yeah. Health wise. But yeah, I would think JT and bones are going to be a, uh, quite a dynamic duo out there. Didn't he caddy for him in a recent event and, and he played well. Yeah. He's, I think he was on, like, he might've been on the bag, not this summer, but last summer at, at FedEx when he won. Yeah. At the world golf championships, but he has filled in for Jimmy a couple of occasions, maybe three or four times. Yeah. With JT when Jimmy couldn't do it for, for, health stuff but yeah i'm pretty sure they were on a bag for a win um you know i did i read some quick article that um they were talking about the caddies and then you know loyalty is not the only concern when these guys are picking their caddies and if they've had a good caddy over the course of their career i I think there's certainly lays i think familiarity uh history um and play in loyalty obviously too. play to play a big part in keeping a caddy if you've got good history with the player and he's a good person and he, he works hard, then yes, you will be loyal. But at the end of the day, you know, the history and the loyalty can't out, outshine performance. You know, it's like 
if a guy, if a caddy's not in it and he's ready to retire, you know, it, we do have great history. We have won great tournaments and I, I am very loyal to you, but if you're not performing as a caddy, that's the, that's the number one thing. If you're not doing that well. Oh yeah. And I'm not, I'm not saying this was the case at all, but I'm, I'm just saying, you know, guys switching caddies, it could be, like you said, it could be for both people. One could say, I'm not in it. I don't want a caddy for you and, and not give you, you know, do what I need to do. And, or it could be, you know, where the player, I hate to use this example, but it could be, you know, a bubble where, you know, this caddy is just like, you know, I've had enough. Like I've had enough. And I, and I, again, I'm not saying that that's, that's the case with Bubba and his caddy, but Bubba does easily complain. could be it. Bubba does really, he's hard on his caddies. I mean, who miss a five footer and turn and look at his caddy and, and put this hands open. Like, you know, what did you do? Why'd you tell me to put it there? I put it there and didn't go in. You know, it's like, well, you have a terrible putting stroke, Bubba. <laughs> Surprisingly, he, he, it does look a little short and choppy, but he, he does get it in the hole. Very swipey. It is. It's uh, quick and like it's just unsure as a, as a good way to good way to categorize it. Yeah, we digress there, but yeah, I, I thought that was both. I think they both came out on the same day, even or within the day of each other. Yeah. I don't know if if I've seen who is going to be on Bubba's bag. Yeah. Um, and again, that was you know phrased as these publicists and PR and agents do as, as a mutual. Yeah breakup you know i mean if i'm sure there's a lot of people is as tough as bubba can be with his caddies i'm sure there's a lot of people who are ready to jump on that bag because he's i mean i know he hasn't played as well as he has you know in prior years this past year but he's still a good bag to be on in terms of you know kind of guaranteeing a certain amount of money oh yeah you know, he always finds a way to, you know, play well. He may get in the mix, you know, five to seven tournaments a year. Maybe he could sneak out a win and, you know, but he's always, I mean, he'll, he'll, he'll rack out up, you know, three or four top fives. And if he gets lucky and has a good year, he'll get a couple wins. I mean, that's a couple hundred grand for a caddy. Easy. It's not bad. You making that right now, Jay? Yeah. I mean, it's way, it's way over that. It's probably closer to like a million something right now. <laughs> well, Bubba made 1.8 last year. So, yeah, it's about we're pretty close. There you go. <laughs> so, um, yeah, interesting news. I don't know who, uh, who t- I thought Bones was great on the broadcast. As I thought a super, he was, too. He was, he's really good. I think him and uh, John Wood, who's on the NBC broadcast with him, both, you know, both longtime caddies. Their perspective is great. They they know what the f they're talking about. Sure. And, yeah. I mean, they've, um, they've been in the, They've been in so many situations with so many caddies, and they know so many of the players. So they're given some good insight on not only the player and their personality and and what their tendencies are, like coming down the stretch, but they've got so much history with just experiences of watching their guys, you know, win. Tournament. Yeah, they know they know their strategy, yep. right, and what they would tell their guy in that situation or. Um, that stuff's cool. How's the ball going to react out of this lie or what you're going to see here? Or they know in depth, well, this golf course always plays like this when we, you know, yeah, because they've caddied some of these places 15, 20 times or whatever. So, yeah, no, I I think they've both done a really good job. I was, I'm kind of sad to see that he's not going to be a part of it because he's very informative when you're watching. I mean, kind of reminds me of Tony Romo a little bit with his announcing. Like Tony's Tony Romo is kind of a character when he when he does it and he tries to be funny, but he also gives some pretty you know in depth um, you know an in depth point of view of what 
you know, what these quarterbacks are thinking, what coverage they're looking at, which some of these, you know, kind of football nerds that sit and watch and analyze these, you know, armchair quarterbacks that want to, you know, analyze their fantasy team and say, oh, they run this offense, this defense, blah, blah, blah. But he actually sets it straight. I mean, he's the one who's been there. He's done it. He did it for 12 years in the NFL. And he can really tell you what these quarterbacks are looking at, what they're thinking. Um, and he's he's pretty candid about it, which is fun. Under, yeah, he is. He is good. He gets a little corny and cheesy he sometimes. Does which I think. Well, this is a big play, Jim. Like, yeah, we all know it's a big play, dude. Like, <laughs> you know, um, I mean, just me, Tony Romo, and Sergio Garcia together, just hanging out. We'd have a we'd have a God. great threesome. God. Yeah, keep me away from that. I won't be the fourth in that group. Oh, I gotta I gotta tell everybody that Mikey. I wish I could post this picture after. Me being so high on Sergio Garcia at the Ryder Cup, which he did play well, which we all know we've already said that's that's the case. He's, he is John Rom played well. He's the greatest Ryder Cup play. Doesn't mean I obviously I'm super stoked that the the U.S. won, but you've got to pay respect to you know a player when they're playing well and they've accomplished you know 20 plus wins in the Ryder Cup. But anyway, Mikey got me this uh, T-shirt. It's all it's just covered with Sergio Garcia, Sergio Garcia's face. The whole. The whole front of this this t-shirt so I'm not it's a col- it's a collage of a Sir, of sergio garcia uh <laughs> it's got him in his green jacket it's got him in a, in a Ryder cup sweater it's yeah the i was like i was editing the podcast last week vomiting in my mouth listening to it <laughs> and i was like i gotta buy this fucker a t-shirt if 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 there is a sergio garcia t-shirt out there and there was, <laughs> and of course, the internet always wins. And there was a T-shirt, and I <laughs> couldn't get my credit card out fast enough to buy it. Uh, so I don't owe you for that. That was a gift. That was a gift. It's a total, <laughs> total gift. Um, but it was, it was perfect T-shirt. Yeah, yeah. There was, there was one other one, but it was like I, was, I saw that. I'm like, no, the collage with all the faces. That's this is way better. <laughs> yeah. Now, like, if I really wear this, it's, it's like just imagine for the listeners, just imagine that you're like a 12 year old girl and you have like Justin Timberlake on a t shirt. Like, that's the kind of thing, like, crazy, like, fangirl kind of stuff, like going to a concert of someone like that. That's like what that's, it is. That's what this shirt looks like. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The back is completely white. It's completely all, white. It's, it's all screen print on the front. <laughs> All Sergio's face. I want to meet the person who made that. Like, why? Why <laughs> did you think this was a good idea? <laughs> At one point, what, did you think that you could make money? Off this of is going to be a hot idea. seller. Like, when did that, <laughs> when did that thought cross your mind? Yeah. Well, hell, I bought it. So, yes, you did. Yes, you did. Speaking speaking of the Ryder Cup, I got to go in a little mass hole minute here. Uh-huh. So Shane Lowry did a podcast or an interview Dang. or something. Over back in England, sugar Shane. in in the UK, and I love Shane Lowry. Not as much as Jay loves Sergio, but I love Shane Lowry. <laughs> I like Shane. He's good, good ball striker. Shane did what comes out like every fucking year with these Europeans after the Ryder Cup. They either bitch about the crowds, oh they're too mean to us, oh they're too loud, <laughs> they're, oh they're too drunk, these dumb Americans, or they bitch about the players. And it's like, shut up. Well, you guys aren't like choir boys here. Like your fans yeah. aren't perfect. Your fans get drunk and obnoxious too. Like, 
guys are so damn sensitive when they play in this damn Ryder Cup from Europe. It's like, shut up every year. You can bank on it. Whether they win or lose, they complain about someone on the American team or the American fans. And so he comes out and, oh, yeah, can't like piss me off a little bit on the eighth, to be honest. I was, he was trying to rile up the crowd. Yeah, no shit. That's what the, everyone does in the Ryder Cup. You rile up your home fans. <laughs> That's true. And then That's he got true. pissed. Oh, yeah. Well, I saw JT on TV complain about having to, having to, you know, putt a short putt. And so I did the inside the leather thing when they had to make me putt one. And I didn't like that. And it rubbed me the wrong way. It's like, guys, yeah. really? Every Drama. year, every year you're going to bitch about Drama. this. Like, shut the hell up. Like, you guys aren't perfect. Your fans aren't perfect. Yeah, we can be obnoxious, but so can you guys. You think Ian Poulter is like a choir boy out there when he's playing the Ryder Cups over all these years? Yeah. No, Sevi Ballesteros, like your your hero, the the European hero in the Ryder Cup, but that we get brought up yeah, every year is the biggest gamesmanship I've ever seen out of a player. And people will tell you all countless stories. It's Sevi, your own hero, did this shit. Yeah. So it's like, don't be yeah. a hypocrite. Like, shut yeah. the fuck up, Shane. Or Europeans in general, like God, <laughs> the damn like, you know, obnoxious American thing. Like we get it. That's like the easy, lazy argument. Okay, easy, great. Easy target. Awesome. Easy like target. it's like, I don't know. It was like I thought. Like I thought it seemed like what I watched and all my responses that I've seen with the players in the interviews. It seemed like oh wait, I mean, there's not really not really much drama. There was very little drama this year. In all honesty, we, it was just so lopsided. It we just beat the fucking bag out of them, but. <laughs> And I thought at first they were going to take it okay, but no, someone's bitching, someone's crying, someone's complaining. You knew there would be one. I mean, you know, I think every year there's oh, even even with you know, I hate to say this, but even the, I think any any losing team, you know, if they get beat that poorly, there's going to be one guy that's going to mouth off, you know, and just just like all right, just let it go, you know, don't even need to go there. We got we got if it, we got beat we gotta be badly just let's just let's just let it go and and not make any weird comments but there's there's always one that it's just too too frustrated it's probably me that's probably what i'd do <laughs> i mean that i'd probably complain about something because we lost it's just so furious <laughs> it just drives me nuts i mean it's like clockwork yeah every two years in this case yeah. obviously it was a three-year wait but like every two years it's like okay which europeans gonna bitch about something now <laughs> I wouldn't. Like, I wouldn't have thought it would have been him. I really haven't seen him be that type of player to complain about stuff. No, like he He's, seems like a pretty yeah. kind of low key, easygoing, yeah, not get too riled up about things kind of guy. But yeah, um, you know, I I would have thought it would be sound like a player more like Sergio. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he would never do that. It just speaks his mind. Got to respect it. Anyways, I was like, I, once I saw that the other day, last week, it might have even been the day after we did the show. I was like, I put a note in my phone, like, Matt's whole minute, Shane Lowry. Yeah. Like, yeah. just drives me nuts. Like, yeah. sorry. So that's it. That's all I got on that sure. topic. But, Matt's whole minute. Yeah, Matt's whole minute. Another topic, we'll bring up our boy Bryson again. We Hopefully everyone listened to our interview with Bobby Peterson and surprised that we didn't know he was going to be on it but ryan Riesbeck as well the two gentlemen that are co-founders of the professional long drivers association that have started their own tour the defunct you know the world long drive association whatever it was called was owned by the golf channel and so everything that everyone has seen over the last handful of years on the golf channel was a golf channel owned product and that's why they're yeah. 
putting it on TV. And once COVID hit and they lost some money, they cut that tour and have an eight or anything as well. So these guys said, Hey, we're going to, we're going to start our own thing and, and get it going. And they get all the top guys. They get, um, Cal Berkshire and, and all the, all the top long drive, um, guys in the world. And so we had, we had them on last week as they were finishing, getting set up for their world championships. And Bobby has, you know, worked with, consulted with Bryson, not on a swing, but just on gaining speed. more distance and speed and yeah. his power coach, if you will. And yeah, I was using the word consultant. I don't know if that's accurate, but I feel like that's, I feel like they have conversations and they talk about. Speed, yeah, they're not, they're not a full, he's not a full fledged yeah. coach by any means. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're definitely not a swing coach, but like you said, yeah, it's probably is a speed coach. Yeah. Power yeah. coach. Yeah. And but so I he mean, was help. It's obviously working. It's incredible how many, I know I was bragging on Bobby last week, but it's incredible how many people he's worked with that, that are gaining speed like that. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty unique. Um, I mean, he works with Cameron Percy on the PGA tour and I know he's gained a ton of distance over the last two or three years. And I haven't spoken with, with Cam in person, but I just have watched, you know, followed him after I heard that Bobby was working with him um, and he's making huge jumps. And then obviously Bryson was already maybe already on that train of, of training, but I think this was just another example of his, you know, passion to get to that level and just whatever, just whatever thir- means necessary thirst for knowledge. Yeah. He's just always going to find a way to get what he wants. And if he wants to hit the ball further, he's going to seek out the people who hit it the longest. I mean, it, and Bobby even said, it was like the relationship started by Bryson, you know, kind of somehow making a connection with Kyle Berkshire and, and, and then obviously Bobby and Kyle have that relationship. And I think that's where it all stemmed from. It's like, you know, he'll do what he, this is his goal. He wants to hit it longer. And he's doing it, and he's changing the game in a lot of ways for sure, uh, changing a lot of people's perception of it anyway, um, which is kind of cool. I mean, like I said, I, I'm all about the you know advancing the game and, and pushing it to its limits, even you know if it means having a 12 hole golf course. I mean, if that's what we got to do, that's what we got to do. <laughs> did you did you happen to catch any of it? I know, so it wasn't on TV; it was just on YouTube. Yeah, um, YouTube yeah. live that they were they were kind of broadcasting pretty much the entire coverage of it, which. I never realized, and this is me just being, you know, ignorant when it comes to, you know, the world of long drive. And I just kind of saw the the blips in the finals, basically what you've been seeing on the golf channel for all these years. And it's a lot of sessions, a lot of days, a lot of rounds. There's a ton of players that are in it and they're getting whittled down, whittled down, whittled down. And so, you know, I tried to fall a little bit here or there. I I caught a couple of Bryson's, um, sessions but but not much I, I will say it's it's not a great viewing experience of how they break up you know you get what two and a half minutes to hit six balls and then yeah, you don't see them and follow. they take a break and they come back and it's hard to follow and of course i didn't really know all the rules of qualifications and the points um but bryson did did finish what top eight right yeah you yep. missed out on the uh the final four but he got all the way. I mean, there was 128 guys, and he got all the way to the top eight for someone who's never done this. Now, granted, we know he's a hell of a golfer, but it is a different. What's the different word? Different mindset. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a yeah, completely. I mean, you're, you know, when you're playing, you're when you're on a golf course trying to hit it as long as you can, you're secretly still trying to hit it more straight than long. 
if, if that makes sense. Yeah, you're trying but, to hit solid in the middle of club face. Yeah, and, I mean, but in I think in this setting, your main focus gravitates toward as long as I can, maybe one straight, you know, whereas I think playing golf, it's the opposite. Like I want to let's hit it straight and maybe sneak out, a, you know, five to 10 more yards if I try to hit one hard. Whereas, you know, again, you get six balls, you just need one. You just need one in play. Um, and I think that changes the mindset a little bit. So you swing a little bit faster, you get a little bit more aggressive, you get a little bit more amped up and you push the push the limits there. Um, just see what you can get away with to get that extra three to five miles an hour ball speed. I mean, that's, that's huge. I mean, that's 10, 12, 15 yards, yeah. you know? Um, and, and he definitely seemed like from what I saw, he hit way more in the grid than most of the guys. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, he's, uh, you know, you don't hit it as far as he hits it. I mean, he hits it pretty daggone straight, you know, for as far as he hits it. And I, I know there's probably a stat that we're going to come out with and it's going to compare one day, I'm sure they're going to find a way to quantify this and like yards off target. It's hard to know because you don't know where these guys are aiming. But at at, at a certain distance, if you're hitting 60% of your fairways at 350 yards compared to guys hitting at 280 at 70% of the yards, who's the, I mean, which is essentially kind of what strokes gained is off the tee. But I think there's a way that they can come up and, and quantify it a little bit better. I'm like, hey, for, for the distance that you hit it, you're much straighter than the guy who hits 75% of his fairways at 280. Um, and, and uh, strokes gain is is probably the closest thing that we've got. It, it, but it, yeah, that's the, that's the a closest bit, thing. But it's a the, the way that they quantify it's a little different. But um, but for him, I mean, is he rarely does he hit a ball out of play, and he's hitting at three forty, three fifty sometimes, which is pretty incredible. Yeah. So. And it was I, you know, when I was watching it, if you if you just read any of the articles about Bryson, I, I'm. I don't know if I'm going to defend Bryson here or what I'm doing, but um, you know, they they were saying that the, the grid was soft, so yeah. the ball wasn't really rolling much. I know they went to a, into the wind for a couple of days because I, I remember seeing one one blip. They're like, "Oh yeah, Bryson hit one that was 380," and I'm like, "Well, that's he does that on the PGA Tour. That's not that yeah. impressive." But yeah, then you look into it and it's like, okay, especially in Nevada too, because you're at altitude. Yeah, but I guess it was. Um, into like a, a into a win and, and soft and you know so that kind of skews the numbers from from making real big headlines if they yeah. would have said oh yeah Bryson hit one 450 to get into the final eight or whatever it was yeah I Ber- think Berkshire it, ended up winning the whole thing right yeah he did I mean for I think a, a soft golf course um, is uh, is a benefit to the longer player you know even in the long drive you know, so if it's firm and fast, these guys, and we talked about last week, they not only do they have to land the ball in the grid, they have to keep the ball in the grid. So you take a really firm, fast uh, fairway or grid, and you take a guy who's got 10 more, 10 mile an hour more ball speed, but less control, you know, his ball's bouncing around. Whereas you take a good player like Bryson, um, he, he would probably prefer a little bit firmer condition because he's got more control over his ball, even at the speed that he's swinging, he, he feels like he hit the grid more often. So he was kind of at a disadvantage by it being kind of soft, in my opinion. Had it been more, had it been firmer, faster, more more win, that's when his skill set would have probably shined even more. Which I mean, still finished top eight, which is incredible. Never yeah. did it before. I just that blows my mind. Really, those guys hit it. They hit it so far. Kyle Berkshire hits it. It's uh, it's unbelievable. It's stupid. When when Bobby said that he's gotten a ball speed of the two forty. Or close to two two thirty something. 
in that interview last night. I was like, what? I mean, that's not even. It's nuts. That is stupid fast. <laughs> so fast. That's that's like 70 miles an hour faster than me right now. <laughs> I don't want to say how much faster than me it is. But... <laughs> oh, that's incredible. It is. That's, incredible. that's, that's just bonkers. I, I would like yeah. to just go to one of those things in person <laughs> one day and see those guys yeah. just fucking let loose. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible. Like I said, at one event that I did, it was, I was kind of in awe just, you know, watching some of these guys. I mean, and at all spectrums, like I said, I mean, I'm watching Mike Dobbin, who's six, seven, you know, he, you know, just, he swung so fast. It looked like it was, everything was ripping in his body. Like it was so aggressive. Um, and then I think he hit one ball out of play or I think he didn't qualify for the set and he took three like triple extra stiff shafts and just went and snapped them all three together over his knee. And I was like, let me, let me just keep my space here. I mean, it's a Holy. giant. I mean, that it's, it, it's pretty incredible. Uh, pretty incredible watching these guys. And like I said, you'd be hitting next to a guy who has two gloves on, who's swinging as fast as they can and would top it off the tee. You know, so I'm wedged in the middle of these two guys. Uh, it's pretty, pretty, it's, it's pretty neat to watch the, how, how some of these guys are. I mean, some of these guys don't, don't play golf at all, but they can just swing the club fast and just yeah. as hard as they can. And they are fucking huge. <laughs> they make Bryson look tiny. They do. They do. There's I mean, I saw a picture guy. of him lined up with like, I might've been the top eight. You yeah. know, I took a picture together. The smallest guy. He was the smallest guy. And I was yeah. like, holy shit. Which makes it even more impressive that, you know, as, as, as fit as he is, you know, he's six foot two twenty or something now. I mean, those guys, these guys six, are all six, three. six. Yeah. They're six, three to six, six, you know, two thirty to two fifty, and just, just can move it. Fucking a three. He broke three shafts over his knee at one time, <laughs> three shafts over his knee. I was so petrified. And Bobby was, <laughs> Bobby's so funny. I know we only had a short time with him last week, but this guy's a character, but yeah, he broke this three over his knee, and he both we both looked at each other and said, "All right, well, we're gonna we're gonna go the other way on the other side of the range here." Um, Couldn't do that with three straws. Oh, it's pretty incredible. Jesus, man. Um, what else we got? We got um, Stu Hagestad. Yeah, wins the so, mid am. So wins the mid am. So if you guys don't know, Stu Hagestad's thirty uh, something year old mid am. Won the mid-am twice now. Probably got one of the more storied amateur careers um, in American history. He's played in three Walker Cup teams. Anyways, he wins his, his second mid-am, and we'll give him a tip of the cap. He Allegedly, he's a working man now. There's varying reports on how much he actually works for his company or if he just plays golf all the time. But yeah. I will I will say, and, and you and I were talking about this before we, we hit record, um, just the, the the news that came out. I think it was his quarterfinal match. I don't remember the guy's name he was playing. Stu's ball marker was in this guy's line of putt for this guy's uh, birdie putt. And he asked Stu to move the the mark. So Stu moves it. Guy putts and he bl- kind of blows it past the hole a little bit. Stu reads the putt, gets it lined up. And he's putting his ball back down. And his opponent says, hey, Stu, you got to move move that back. So Stuart never moved the ball, the ball mark back. So he does. If he didn't do that, it would have been a loss of hole in match play. And so Stewart, just being relieved and thankful that the guy did that, his opponent gave the guy an eight-foot par putt 
Eight feet's a long way. It's a long way to have the hole as a gesture of gratitude to say, hey, man, thanks. You didn't have to tell me to move my mark back. You could have let me play from there. And Stewart lost the hole. And so he did the gentleman thing and said, hey, it's yours. Take it. Eight man, foot. That's, that's pretty impressive. I mean, I don't know. Would you do that? <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I would, in all honesty. I mean, I'd like to say that that's a really cool thing to do. But when it comes down to, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know yeah, if I would give him any putt. That's tough. I don't know if I would have either. It worked out for him. It was the right thing to do. Whatever. I would have given the guy a pat on the back. Say, hey, man, <laughs> thanks. I really appreciate thanks. that. Thanks again, but Good bogey. You still need to make that putt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, I mean, that's... It's a long ways. I don't I don't think... I don't know if I would. Yeah, I, I, Eight feet's too long. If it was like four feet, it's like, man, if it's a straight-up hill, four-footer... It's like, hey, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt on good greens. But if it's a five-foot downhill left to righter, a little, little slider, a little drippy little left to righter, I'm probably no. not giving it to him. No, yeah, I think you're right. If it was a borderline, like, if it's one of those putts, like, ah, do I give this or do I not? Well, I want to do a nice thing because he just yeah. did a nice thing. I'll give it to you. Yeah. But, yeah, eight feet, that's eight not feet one that's even in the ballpark of, like. Over the top. Yeah. Over the top. Anyways, yeah. so Stu Hagerstad wins. That was at uh, in Nantucket. Great club. Sanctity head. Hey, good for you, Stu. You did the right thing, and it paid off. There are There is a golf god. He That's is right. watching. He he's, is going watching. he's going he back, to a, back to Augusta, where he was uh, low M the last time he was there. God, what a, I mean, just think how cool that is. <laughs> I mean, to play in the Masters has got to be the coolest thing ever, and then to be the low AM, and yeah. then, get get, then get to go back and try it again. Do it again. So yeah, he gets into he gets into the British Open. He gets into the US Open. How um how old is he? Um 30. I don't know how to spell his name. Uh as I'm Googling it here. It's I he's think 30 he, years old. Okay. I didn't think he was far into his 30s, but um it's it's hard for the you got these guys, and once they get to like 30 mid thirties and up, like even in the mid am, it's hard for him to compete. I mean that for, for, um, God, buddy, Mar uh, Mar uh, was it Marucci? Yeah. Played tiger. When he, how old was he when he played tiger? I mean, he was pretty old. He was pretty old. Golf, golf and that was the regular. And that wasn't even the mid am. That wasn't even the mid am. Yeah. So at least yeah. you're not playing against the, um, the college kids that are, yeah. You know, playing all day, every day, and grinding, and get the fitness programs. You know, the, yeah. at least the mid am is, is people that have a job and yeah. But yeah, Buddy Marucci in the actual that was an, am that was pretty incredible. I gotta look at what how old he was. What take your guess? I think he was forty years old. I was gonna say like forty five. Um, so that was nine. The that was ninety four. That was uh, 1995. 95, yeah. So 90, yeah, he won 94, 95, 96, and then 96 that summer is when he turned pro. Yeah. So Buddy Marucci is 69 years old. It was 26 years ago. 43. It was 43. Gosh, that's that's incredible. that's impressive. Yeah, <laughs> to make it to the the USAM final against the greatest golfer of all time. What a cool. Uh, 43 year old guy playing against Tiger Woods and your 
in the USAM final. That's, I mean, he's he's done well for himself even in the world of golf. I mean, he's on some boards. Yes. Um, yeah, he's a big wig. He's been Walker Cup captain multiple times. Yeah. He's big with the USGA, and you know, yeah, he's a, he's he's carved out a little uh, niche for himself. Yeah, that's pretty pretty cool. I mean, you know, we I mean, obviously, he's a great player to make it to the US US Amateur Finals, and and he'd played well prior to that. It wasn't like it's like a first time thing for the for him. I mean, he yeah, was it wasn't a one pretty, and done a fluke kind of thing. Yeah, he was a pretty decorated amateur prior to to that ninety five uh, USAM, but um, yeah, that's that's pretty impressive. Um. You know, I, you know, back to, uh, back to Stu though, how, I mean, it doesn't get much cooler than that to be 30 years old, get to play in your your second us uh, or your master second masters. And then you said the open championship and was there one other one that he gets invited to the British am obviously Uh, he gets the us open. I think he gets into the British open. Oh, he gets to the open championship. I I think I'm not positive on that, but I thought they kind of, I know the the British AM champ gets into the US Open, I believe. But not the mid AM guy. Oh, uh, maybe the mid AM. Yeah, maybe he doesn't because it's mid AM. That's right. But the Masters, Masters alone is pretty pretty incredible. Masters so. in the U, he gets in the Masters in the US yeah. Open. That's for sure. But that's awesome. I guess the British, you have to be a, the actual uh, AM champ, not the mid AM. That's right. So, all right. I think we're going to do our, do our picks. I'm ready, man. I'm, I'm, I, I'm, Wish I had a good, <laughs> a good story behind my picks, but I just, just don't. You know, I, it's one of the, these events are tough. I mean, I hate to say it, they, they, they are, are tough. I did pick up the win last week. It was close. Dude. We only had three guys make the cut between the two of us. I'm sorry, we each had three on on our team. Yes, yeah. and um, it was kind of close there. And then I think I had. Uh, it was close through Saturday, and then you kind of stretched yeah. out through all uh, the way there at the end, but. Yeah. Um, these, like I said, these, these events are tough. I, you just kind of look through the names and look at guys that you know are solid players and that you think can make the cut. And in all honesty, it's just it's hard to the, to pick the history here, in my opinion. But so I feel really sneaky confident about my team. Do you? Don't now? I feel now. I'm going to have to go back and change mine. No, well now I'm just <laughs> now I just changed myself and I'm going to have five guys miss the cut again, like I did three weeks ago. That was awful. Uh. All right, um, so I'll, I'll go, yeah, for go, it. go for it. So I did minor amounts of research for this. So my low guy, $6,700, Scott Piercy. Mm. His home course you know, is TPC Summerlin. As soon as you said that, I was like, gosh, Scott Piercy. Did, did you see that? Just to interrupt you here. Did you see that video? They showed what's in the bag and they had uh, showed Scott Piercy's clubs. I don't know if oh, you saw that. He's got, I saw a picture like, somewhere with all the lead tape on there. Yeah, they call him the lead tape king. Um, and it's pretty cool. I mean, they showed like almost every club, like three wood, hybrid, driver, every single club, putter has has lead tape on it, which is, I think, pretty pretty cool. I mean, not surprising. He's a, he's, he's a good player, and he's got a lot of incredible feel. I mean, he's – we used to play, um, you know, when he was kind of going back and forth in the middle on it. If I've told this story before, then, you know, sorry, guys. you hear it twice. But um, we used to play Hooters Tour together. This is – he was just about – had gone back and forth between the web.com tour at the time, and he would drop back down and play in some Hooters Tour events. And we hit it off. I mean, he was a good guy, but we would um, 
we'd do long drive contests together on every $20 a hole, you know, if, if it was, if it was a driver hole. So we would just add them up at the end of the end of the day and whoever was up would pay. But I was younger than he was and I was still trying to hit as hard as I could. And he was a little older, but still could smash it. Um, and so we would do, it was kind of cool. But one cool thing about Scott is he is a, he still uses a 10 finger grip, which does he really see, you don't see too many guys on the PJ tour that are good players that use a 10 finger grip, but, um, yeah, next time you check it out, I mean, he keeps them pretty tight. Like you couldn't, you couldn't tell if you weren't looking for it, but once yeah. you see it, once you, you'll notice it right away, um, which is pretty cool. But, um, yeah, interrupting your picks there, but no, you're Scott, good. Pierce's, Scott Pierce's, I just thought that was pretty cool with the lead tape. You know, you just never know. I mean, he's using like old 681 blades, like Titleist blades. I did see that. Yeah. Yeah. It was old school. Um, which, you know, there, I mean, you know, blades are blades, but it's like, he's got the, He's got the tape on there just right. Everything weighs the right right amount. He feels comfortable. It's like, all right, I guess we'll go with it. <laughs> yeah, it's working. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's his home golf course. So uh, the Shriners Children's Hospital Open, whatever it's called, uh, TPC Summerlin. So home guy, I'm going to take it. Um, I know he missed the cut last week, but he did finish. I think it was T11 in Napa uh, a few weeks ago. So I'm hoping just, just being home and, He's got a bunch of pretty high finishes uh, yeah. there. So I like him at $6,700. Really good pick. I'm a, I think I may change mine before I go. And then I'm going to go up to 7000 <laughs> I'm going to uh, Henrik Norlander. Huh. He just finished T4 last week. So playing well. So we're going to go there. And that's really just, I saw his finish from last week. And that's okay. We're going to go there. And he's cheap. Good call. Great. Then I'm going up to Matt Wolf. Hmm. $8,200. Um, he's talking like he's, you know, in a better place mentally. Finished uh, top 20. Second, second there last year. He was second there last year. Shot a 61 on this golf course. Yeah. It's sh- kind of short. He can wail away and hit a lot of wedges in. He finished top 20 last week at Sanderson Farms. So, you know, a good week. So I like him at 8200 you did do your research. Then I'm, I'm going Joaquin, looking good right now. Joaquin Neiman. Okay, we do have uh, one commonality then. $8,300. Just I just think he's not a long golf course, and he's a pretty good ball striker. So um, I think he's going to hit a, a shit ton of greens, and that's kind of why I like him. I don't know if I don't even know if he has a track record at this place or not, but. Just the the profile of the golf course and his game, I think, are going to mesh he really finished well. 13th there last year. Well, there you go. Yeah. Great call. Okay. And he makes a ton of cuts just in general. So yeah. the guy like never misses a cut. Yeah. Great, then I'm great going ball up. striker. Great yep. ball striker or great putter? What? Is he a great ball striker or a great putter? You say yes. he never misses a cut. Both. Yes. Yes. <laughs> You're trying to bait me into something there. Yeah. Uh, he's probably a better ball striker than putter, if I would yes. have to guess by his stats. But um, I'm going to go up to another guy who's a better ball striker than a putter, uh, Corey Connors, $8,800. Again, just another cut-making fool. Yes. And that's, again, uh, ball strikers, and you make a cut, I'll, I'll take you in this. And then I think the winner, and I think this golf course is going to fit him perfectly. Abe, answer. Ten thousand four hundred. The Spanish sensation. <laughs> we need to make a T-shirt. We really do. 
<laughs> we need to make a t-shirt with him on there and we need to make a t-shirt of the coastal carolina coach saying we don't need yeah. cats we need dogs i know be a dog um dog. but yeah uh abe answer you know got a big win back in the summer mm-hmm. at the fedex world golf championships so has been playing well in recent um recent past and again i think a, a shorter golf course is going to lend to his game a little bit better yeah and so um i like abe answer to win mm, like that making the call um nice work i may have to adjust my picks here i like some, i like a lot of the a lot of the thought process there mikey well done um but anyway we we like i said we do have one player that is the same uh i've got joaquin neiman at 8300 as well for the same reasons that you you picked great ball striker he's missed one cut in the past 27 events um jumping up a little bit in price i've got another you know solid player this year and and probably known for his putting here in the last couple years but also a sweet swing uh louis ustays and just been overall he's been playing really really well i mean um, I know he took a little bit of a break here before, before this event, but um, great player, great ball striker. Uh, then I go to Mito Pereira at seventy hundred. Oh, My clan's boy. Yeah, that's his boy. And he said, "What did he say? If I, if I can pick him every event for the rest of the year, I'll be." He's going to take him and Ryan Palmer in every event <laughs> if they're playing. That's awesome. Um, but again, yes, playing really solid golf, obviously. Um, in the last three or four events. So uh, I'm going to give him a shot at 7,800. He's got, he's a player that's got the opportunity to win. I think this setup uh, will be similar for him from where he, you know, grew up playing. Um, Scotty Scheffler, 9,700. He's just been playing a lot of golf, maybe riding high for the Ryder cup, uh, but still really solid player. Um, My two kind of low tiered guys, I kind of gave all my big, big dogs up first, but, I'm going with Maverick McNeely. Mm, I like that pick. I uh, I mean, he played well a couple weeks ago. What was that event? He kind of made a couple bad swings at the end. Yeah, he finished second to Homa at, yeah. uh, in Napa. Yeah, so it was two weeks. I guess it was two weeks ago. So, again, I still think that he really likes playing out on the West Coast. Or I, should, I know this isn't necessarily the West Coast, but he lives, in Vegas. he lives in Vegas. Oh, does he live in Vegas? He does. Right, there you go. Even more of a reason. Um so I, I feel like he's gonna he plays well out there. Um and uh last but not least, at my lowest tier guy, my sleeper, riding high off of last week, making a charge, turning it around, Nick Watney. Wow. I think I don't need a win from Nick Watney, Nick Watney, but I do feel like he's gonna sneak into like a top 15, top 10, possibly, just okay. just from momentum from last week and at 6600 bucks. I mean that's a lot of points. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. So, um, we'll it's see. a it's a it's the best field we've had, and it was only the third event of the new season. But you yeah. got you know Kepka, Burns, Hovland, Answer, Simpson, Zalatoris, Ustazen, Scheffler, Matsuyama, Harris English, um, Sergey M, Kevin Nod just withdrew. I'm not sure why he's out, but Paul Casey, Kokrak, Patrick Reed, Adam Scott. I mean it's a it's a pretty good yeah pretty good field. That time of the year, you know, they've, they've uh, everyone's been. I mean, for the most part, these guys, some of these bigger guys, haven't played since the Tour Championship or the what was was it the what was before the Northern Trust or the BMW. Um, 
BMW. BMW the yeah. Was first, yeah. Some of those guys haven't played since the BMW. So, I mean, they, they're four, four plus weeks out, you know, so they're ready to play and, you know, doesn't hurt that it's in Vegas. I think the time of the year really is perfect for playing out there. Yeah. I think that's why you see some of these guys play in these fall series events. They, they don't want to just completely shut the club down forever, yeah. you know, until January. So they're going to play here or there, you know, there's a world golf championship event on the schedule and, was it next? Is it next week? The CJ Cup that's out there at yeah. Shadow Creek in Vegas. I don't, actually, I'm not sure if they're still having it there. I know that was a COVID thing. CJ Cup used to be over in Asia, but last year it did not happen in Asia. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, they used to well, the PGA Tour. I mean, when did they start doing this fall this wraparound season? I mean, there used to. I mean, after the Tour Championship, there was nothing. You know, you had a couple like, like yeah, there was like two man events and some the silly season they call it. Yeah, but I mean, once the tour championship was done, and it used to be later, it was like October, right? I mean, it was like either September it used to be like, or, the, like the last weekend of September. Yeah, and uh, I remember being cold. Like they would play, you know, you guys were wearing, you know, you know, stocking caps and jackets. You know, it was cold down there sometimes in Atlanta. But um, I mean, it's kind of it's different. I, like you said, I feel like guys they feel like they need to play. Like you know, if they're kind of that fringe top tier player, like hey, I can get a leg up on you know, on the rest of the guys, if I play these six events, say I get a couple top tens. I mean, my FedEx cup points jump way up. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, um, so actually they're in, they're in Vegas again next week at the CJ cup. This is going to be at the summit club in Vegas, not shadow Creek again, but um, yeah. So it's a good, it's a good field this weekend. And um, there it is. There we have it. This was the event that Tiger won his first event at, the Vegas event. First one, I know it's changed, changed the name a million times with, with the sponsorship or whatever, but this was years ago. This was the uh, the week. That's 25 years ago. Isn't that incredible? It makes me feel really old. <laughs> I know it does. I remember. I remember it. Yeah, I remember watching it because he was, it was only, I guess we're only a month removed from him winning the. The, his third USAM. I, rem I remember watching that him and Steve Scott play. Um, watching that, whole, I remember taping it with a VHS tape. <laughs> no, no joke. I remember coming in. I was hitting balls in my backyard into the woods, and Tiger was coming on. I was scrambling around to find a VHS tape that I could use to record him playing Steve Scott. And we kept. I mean, we, I watched that so many times after every one, which is so bizarre. So here's here's a Steve Scott thing, and it kind of goes back to. Um, what Stu Hagestad happened. So Steve Scott, who lost the 96 in extra holes, was it 38 holes, maybe? It was unbelievable match. Yeah, it definitely went beyond the 36. The 36 yeah, Tiger, Tiger came back. He was down pretty good. He came back. Well, he has written a book, Steve Scott, about telling Tiger to move his mark back. <laughs> He's written a book about it? Well, he's written a book about playing Tiger in, and it came out with it this summer because it was the 25th anniversary of him yeah. losing to... I'm trying to find the title of, of the book. Hey, Tiger, you need to move your mark back. That's not the name of the book. You gotta be it's kidding the, me. That's the fucking name of the book. <laughs> oh, no. And this is... this, And so, Steve Scott, love you, pal. I have no idea who the hell you are other than that. And I know he's he's doing some... He's a, PGA, he's, PGA a PGA. he's a PGA professional member. director of yeah. instruction, but his book is called Hey Tiger, You Need to Move Your Mark Back. 
nine simple words that change the game of golf forever. Oh, I, wow. I'm not, I'm not sure those nine words did it. Um, uh, that's, I mean, I'm sure it's a cool story, like getting the insight of it because it was, you know, it was a big match, but I don't know if it's a, if it's book worthy. Um, and I don't a, know if I would choose that as the title in the subtitle either. Cause I mean, he, it was a pretty, he had a pretty storied career as, a, as an amateur. I mean, he probably had plenty of stories playing with other guys who've made it on, on the PJ tour and their interactions. And I mean, he was, he was a good player. I mean, obviously you don't make it to the, the U S amateur finals. If you're, if you're a slouch, but I don't know if he needed to make a whole book about that, but I yeah, have to read it first. Scott's simple act of sportsmanship changed the course of the match. Does, it doesn't say these nine nine simple words change them. I'll I'll send you a screenshot of the cover of the book. It's on <laughs> no. the cover of the book. These nine these nine words change the face change of golf. Change the game of golf forever because we never would have heard of who Tiger Woods was if he he didn't tell him that and he lost that that USAM. <laughs> Tiger would not have won eighty two times in in fifteen majors. No chance if he had lost that. That one yeah. putter head length of his ball mark changed it <laughs> forever. Forever. I mean, we would think Phil Mickelson's the greatest player of this generation, not Tiger yeah. Woods. Would be completely different. Yeah. He Phil would have been crushed. He would have lost all his confidence. <laughs> like, I, I uh, actually, I remember seeing that this summer and I was like, that can't be real, right? <sighs> don't love it. Don't love it. I do no, like Steve, Steve Scott. I, I'm, I, I like hey, and we we, we live in America, so if you can make a dime off of something like that, yeah. sure. But I, I would have gone with a different title and maybe, maybe not the whole genesis of the book. Yeah. Be like Tiger's career is because of you. <laughs> that's maybe pushing a little bit. So yeah, you know. But hell, that's the same situation of what Stu Hagestad went through. You know, yeah. Steve Scott told Tiger and we was marked back in the I don't remember the exact hole or the situation. It was a back nine. Would have lost the whole, probably would have lost the match, you know, or, or whatever. But um, yeah, we all we all can thank Steve Scott for Tiger's career. So, I mean, I don't know who told Stu to move his mark back, but I mean, that guy, you know, who knows? It could be who knows? It could be book, book worthy. <laughs> depending if if Stu wins 82, 82 PGA Tour events and fifteen majors, we we may be talking about this guy. I mean, yeah, so. That's it. But that it did remind me. You brought up Steve Scott, and I was like, "Oh, wait a minute." Yeah, twenty. It was twenty five years ago. Twenty five like years that's, ago. That's crazy. So, man, time flies. Time flies. All right, bud. You got anything else? I'm good, man. Good, uh, good, good pod there. Good, good week in golf, and uh, we'll get ready for the Shriners and see what's going on. That's right. We'll watch a little golf and um, make sure you iron your Sergio Garcia T-shirt before you wear it to work. Yeah, I will. I'm gonna okay. wear that on the next pod. <laughs> not that, not that anyone can see it, but I don't think I can see it. You guys, well, maybe have to for it. take a take a picture of you in it and put it on our socials. Yeah, but uh, yeah, awesome. enjoy it, and uh, we'll be back next week. Later, Later. take care. Cheers.